0: I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Let me read the words of Jesus, starting in verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Many, many, many Christians uh, are not happy Christians. Many Christians struggle in their daily life. And I don't mean just for a season because they hit a hard spot. I mean, I mean it's an habitual kind of malaise that they live with, a kind of depression. They're disheartened. They're frustrated about themselves. Perhaps they're discouraged about their present state, but they look back and they have regrets about their past. And then when they look forward they're worried about the future and they're unsettled they're not sure how things are going to unfold and so there's both depression and there's anxiety and they live under that. Now when I talk about depression and anxiety here I am not talking about I'm not talking about something with a medical cause. There are times when depression and anxiety Arise out of our physical bodies in various ways. We know that, and, and that needs to be treated medically. I'm also not thinking specifically of the sort of depression and anxiety that can come out of life experiences, traumatic life experiences, that can stamp us so deeply and can make it difficult for us to get unstuck in our lives. Uh, What I'm going to say is not irrelevant to people in such a situation, but I don't want to leave the impression with what I say this morning that I'm giving a quick answer to that sort of spiritual and emotional struggle because I'm not. In some cases, there needs to be an extended time of prayerful therapy to work through some of the issues that people need to work through to overcome the the gloom that has settled over their lives that's very very important i'm not wanting in any way to undermine that and i think you understand that but beyond beyond those specific areas there's a there's a depression and and the accompanying anxiety that has settled over so many people in our culture and it's not so much it's not so much a personal problem with them as it is sort of a, an atmosphere in which they live. There's a, there's a cultural aspect to this. There are certain attitudes and beliefs that go into it, and that's why so many people today are struggling. Think about this. We have more mental health professionals than we've ever had, ever, ever in the history of humanity, and yet look how many people are so unhappy and struggling so much and living in darkness. Why would that be? Why would that be? It's because much that we call depression, much, not all, but much, is very much a a spiritual issue. And here I'm not talking spiritual like some demonic force at work. I'm talking about spiritual as, as understanding God and relating to God and others in the way that God has called us to relate. I feel like to this point I'm sort of talking around the subject. Let me try to get to it, right to it. Um, there is a monk in the fourth century, a Christian monk, Evagrius, who really was the origin of what you hear of as the seven deadly sins. He actually spoke of eight sins. But eventually it was reworked and you hear of the seven deadly sins. And a lot of times Christians have thought that pride is the principal sin from the Christian point of view and the most dangerous sin. That's the first of all the sins. But interestingly, Evagrius didn't see it quite that way. He saw the most dangerous temptation to the monks over whom he minister, the most dangerous temptation was something he called ascidia. Assidia is often translated as sloth, but that's, that's an unhelpful translation in our context because when we hear sloth, we hear laziness. And that's not what he was talking about. Instead, ascidia has to do with a turning inward, a self-absorption that turns a person's life dark. It's a malaise, which is a a sadness, and you could say depression, but it's often an agitated depression. It's like it's like I, I don't want to do what I'm supposed to be doing, and you know I'm just looking for some distraction. It's a spiritual lethargy where you know what, I know I'm supposed to seek God, but I'm not interested in God. I don't have any desire to draw near to God. I have no desire to pray. Everything about spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines feels like a terrible burden. And as this mindset settles on a person and they become more and more self-absorbed and turning inward, they tend to feel more and more Depressed, sad, discouraged. They typically start finding all sorts of faults with themselves and with other people. They can be angry at themselves and other people. So life becomes, well, it becomes sad, full of self-pity at times, but it's a dark dark experience. And Evagrius actually said that acedia is the most dangerous of the sins because when you arrive there, you tend to settle in your sins and do nothing about them. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because it seems to me it describes what a lot of people experience. They'll think, oh, I'm depressed, and and they may be depressed, but so many people in our day are tempted to think, you know, if I can just get the right medication, I'll start feeling better. And and I hope you know from things I've said in the past, I am not on, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from having the proper medical supervision of using medications that might help them. I'm I'm not against that. Please don't hear me to be saying that. But there's a tendency in our culture to think, you know what, I can fix this malaise I'm living with by finding the right medication. Oh, well, this one doesn't quite work. Let me try this one. Well, that one doesn't quite work. Let's try this one. Oh, I need to double the dose of this one. And that goes on for years with very little progress all too often, all too often. But you see, what, what, what we tend to think of is we think of this, this sadness and this gloom as being the root cause of everything else. But it's both a cause and a consequence. In other words, this, this sadness that turns me in and ter- makes me self-focused, well, that self-focus then adds to my Sadness. It also adds to a way of life that defeats me. How many addictions come about because of acedia? This sense of, I feel overwhelmed by my responsibilities and I don't want to do any of this and and, and just grasping for something. If you want a perfect picture of the sort of mindset, think of the person who's depressed and can't stop looking at TikTok videos. Just going through it, just mindless. So it's not so much just an evasion of all activity, but it's an evasion of responsibilities. So that was Evagrius talking about ascidia. Now, here's what's interesting in the history of the Christian tradition it has, uh, different teachers have emphasized that ascidia is actually a failure of love. In fact, Dante in the Divine Comedy, he's being ushered up the Mount of Purgatory by the poet Virgil, and and they see someone who is in the throes of Acedia, and Virgil explains to him, it's because of lento amore, in other words, slow love. Think about cold molasses and pouring cold molasses. It just doesn't flow. And this kind of tepid, weak love, that is the root, he says, of acedia. Now, it's with that in mind that I want to call you back to this text that I just read. I really haven't forgotten the text. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. The thing that's interesting, first thing that's interesting to me about this passage is Jesus is drawing on the tradition of Israel. This comes straight out of the scripture. These are concepts from, from the Hebrew faith in which he was reared. So these are commandments, not that point the way to salvation. This is a commandment given to those who are among the people of God already. This is how the people of God are to live. And then notice, this is a love command. I've been talking about mood and sadness and self-absorption and self-pity and passivity and the life that comes out of that. But here when we're talking about love, we're talking about a command, a command to be obeyed. It's not that you can just summon feelings of love, but Jesus gives us a command. The assumption here is this, that love love is something we must choose. We must choose it. Now, if we're going to love God with our whole being, which is basically what Jesus says here, how, how does that happen? Well, in the biblical faith, it's very simple. God is gracious and God is good. And knowing that God is gracious and good and knowing that all life is a gift, we are commanded to love God in response. You could say that this is really commanding us to be grateful for God's good gift and in, in that gratitude to live in a way that's pleasing to God, to make that our, our life's purpose, to be pleasing to God. Not because we're afraid of God, but because he is so good to us. Now, if I'm in the throes of depression, I don't feel like God is good to me. But, you know, to learn any discipline, we have to make the effort, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't feel right, even when it feels awkward. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. As Christians, the first and greatest commandment is we call to mind that God is a good God. God has blessed us. God has lavished his kindness on us. Out of a grateful response, we should live to please God. We should love God. And Make it our life's ambition to find happiness, to somehow feel better? Well, not in the first instance. In the first instance, to love God. And then, drawn out of ourselves to love God, we are to love others as ourselves. Now, in our self-obsessed culture, we quickly turn that around and say, you know, Jesus is really saying you need to love yourself. You can't love God or other people until you love yourself. That's not what he says. First and greatest commandment is you love God. Second commandment is you love others. Now, the as yourself is sort of the background assumption. And it is significant. It is significant because Jesus certainly isn't saying you should love others instead of yourself. He isn't saying that you should love others and let your own life just, you know, fall into decay. He's not saying that. Love others as yourselves. But the whole focus is to get out of yourself. To get out of yourself and to love others. What this all means is that there is a responsibility laid upon us by God. It is a gracious call, this responsibility, to turn our lives out to God in order to serve and please him and then as servants of God to turn out to others to serve and love them. You never will find your way out of that dark place by turning in. You have to turn out. You have to turn out. The self-absorption, which which is so natural when you're feeling down and depressed and guilty and regretful and fearful, that self-absorption, that's the enemy. That's what you have to turn out of. And you won't turn out of it only when you finally feel like it. You turn out of it because there's a sense that God has called you. God has called you to a certain way of life. Jesus says to love God, make that your purpose, and love others, make that your purpose. There are people in your life, there are people in your life who need you. And so often we neglect them because we're thinking about ourselves. And in neglecting them, we harm the relationship and we let them down and our life gets darker still, as does theirs. See, we've got to get out of that. We have to realize that our lives are called to a higher plane. God doesn't say, or Jesus doesn't say, follow me and find this Contentment, where everything just flows to you and you're happy. It's no, we're following him and taking up our cross to live a holy life, a holy life, loving God, loving others. Now, as I say, I've already said it, I am not saying that someone who is stuck because of some trauma in their past they've gotten frozen around that that they just need to try harder you understand that i'm not i'm not dealing with that but i'm talking about the sort of the sort of can i call it garden variety depression that so many live with it comes from turning in and thinking about ourselves jesus commands us love god love others. I think for many people, the first step toward happiness, the first step out of the darkness, is to stop seeking happiness and to start thinking, to what has God called me? What is my responsibility? Who depends on me? Who must I love and love well, however I feel? I need to be drawn out of myself, and then the light comes. We're going to have communion, share communion, Lord's Supper in just a moment. And I want you to think about how Jesus Christ came and he showed us, he showed us love, in laying down his life on the cross for us. He sets the example. And all of this he does to love for the Father. He sets the example. The way of Christ is our example. And the way of Jesus was not self-indulgent. The blessedness of which he speaks comes by laying down his life for God and serving others but you notice how often the bible uses that word blessed in the greek it's makarios it can be translated happy but in the biblical context it's rightly translated most of the time as blessed because for the christian life is about something more than mere happiness it's about blessedness and how we feel may go up and down but God's favor does not. I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son for us and that in all that Christ accomplished, it was to draw us out of ourselves that we might serve you and serve others. Lord, you know just how difficult it is for us to do that. It's difficult, Lord, because because we just turn in and we think about ourselves. Liberate us from that. And as we reflect on what you gave, Lord, and as we eat and drink this morning, may we be freed from self and free to love. We prayed in Christ's name.